in this city. You want to see a bunch of people saved, do you? Amen. So do I. Well, I want you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 1, and I'll tell you an easy way to find Ruth. I remembered it this way. Joshua, quit judging Ruth. You just go to Deuteronomy, and the next book is Joshua, and say, Joshua judges Ruth. So that's the way I find it. Joshua, would you leave? Would you quit judging Ruth? So Ruth chapter 1, <laughs> and verse 18, and then Genesis 37. I'm going to go there, and I want to just kind of uh, pull two people out of Scripture who are great examples of how it can look for a while like life is not fair. How many of you in here have ever had the feeling just grab you that life wasn't fair? And the rest of you, where do you live? I just want to know where you live. <clears throat> how many of you have just said, nothing's going my way? How could that have happened to me? How could people have said that about me? Life's not fair. Well, we're going to dive into the story here of Naomi, who uh, was a Jewish lady who, with her husband Elimelech, went to Moab in a time of famine. And when she got to Moab, we'll read about it in just a moment. Let's read in verse uh, 18. Now, what has happened here is her husband has died, her two sons have died. She's left with two daughters in law. And Ruth has said to her, I'm following you. Now, verse 18 is picking up there. When she saw that she, that is Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now, the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. <clears throat> and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. They'd been gone a long time, or, or Naomi had been. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Wow. And then she tells about it. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So she told them what for. Amen? Now, Genesis 37. I want to show you one more person. Joseph. And this one verse sort of highlights what happened to Joseph and turned his life in a totally different direction from what he thought it would go. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers, that is Joseph's brothers, pulled Joseph up lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt as a slave. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that, Lord, you will help us to get a grip, a real fresh grip on the providence and the sovereignty of God in our lives. That you're working out a plan for good. And we believe you for that and thank you that it's so. Give us divine illumination in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen, you're going to need this. <laughs> now, you know, I, I love the honesty of the Bible about the people in the Bible. And I want you to notice that here are two examples of people who had plans for themselves. They fully expected life to go a certain way. They had plans for themselves. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Naomi. Naomi expected to reach old age with her husband, Elimelech, and her two sons and her two daughters-in-law. This is what Naomi envisioned for her life, no doubt. She, she envisioned bouncing her grandchildren on her knees and having photo albums filled with Kodak moments, no doubt about it. But none of what Naomi envisioned happened. Naomi was a believer in God. Naomi was a believer in Jehovah. She believed in God. But none of what she saw for her life is what actually happened in her life. Life took an unexpected detour for Naomi when her husband and two sons, one after another like dominoes, died, leaving her with childless daughters-in-law and a very uncertain future. Now, kind of keep that in mind because life is what happened while Naomi was making other plans. Joseph had also plans for his life, no doubt about it. He expected to live and work next to his father, Jacob. He was Jacob's favorite son by Rachel, his mother. He would meet a beautiful Jewish girl. There's no question this is what was in his mind. Have beautiful Jewish children and live to a ripe old age in Canaan, the promised land. Just being a shepherd, working with animals, tilling the land. But like Naomi, not one thing that Joseph had planned for his life happened. You know the story. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold into Egypt as a slave, spent at least two years in prison for something he did not do, lived his life out in Egypt with an Egyptian sun worshiper for a wife. Did you know that? And rather than the quiet life of a rural shepherd in the promised land, he became the CEO of Egypt, the mightiest nation on earth. And Joseph was second only to Pharaoh in all the land. Who could have ever cooked that up? Who would have ever dreamed that up? That is not anything that Joseph had in mind. Now, I want to guarantee you if we had approached Naomi and Joseph in the first half of their life and said, hey, what do you think about life? Here's what they might have said. Life's not fair. I know Naomi would have said it because she said it. Life's not fair. I've been dealt a bad hand. I don't know where God is. I don't understand what God's doing. I thought this and this and this and this was going to happen. I had it all planned out. But none of what I thought is what has happened. There is something else at work, and it just seems to me that life has not been fair. Joseph, remember what she said, don't call me pleasant, Naomi said, call me bitter. Call me bitter, because I am bitter, because the Lord has turned his back on me. Joseph told the chief butler and baker when they were thrown into prison with him and about to be released, he said, indeed, I was stolen away from my homeland, and I also have done nothing wrong that they should put me into this dungeon. I haven't done anything 
And I was stolen, sold away, sold up the river. I can hear him saying in those words, this is not fair. This is not fair. I'm a good man. I love God. This is not fair. There are people right now in Kansas saying, life is not fair. There are parents who are receiving knocks on their door and uniformed individuals waiting on the other side to say, he, she will not be coming home. Life's not fair. I want to tell you something, church. That's a truism. Life is not fair as we look at fair. Amen? Broken dreams, failed expectations, shattered hopes are hard to handle. Life is what happens while you're making other plans. But is it really only life that happens or is something higher at work? Scripture says that disappointed hope makes the heart sick. And you know the feeling you've been looking forward to something. You believe a certain something is going to happen. You believe something is going to go a particular direction. You believe that something wonderful is coming your way. And suddenly it becomes very clear that it's not. And that there is something else afoot. Something else is in the cards. Something else is happening. And you're disappointed. And it makes your heart sick. Say, man, I really had my heart on that. I really thought that was going to happen to me. But here's what I see in the Bible, and I thank God for the Bible. Because Joseph and Naomi would soon find out that disappointed hopes may actually be a heavenly detour in disguise. See, they discovered when they gave God time that disappointed hopes are often the hand of God blocking you and blocking your plans. It's a heavenly detour because he's got something better in mind. I want that to sink in today because I've learned through all kinds of trials and difficulties, I've learned to wait on God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Those that wait upon the Lord. Rather than it being the end of the world, it might be the beginning of a new one. If you give God time, you got to give God time. Joseph and Naomi never got to read what I'm about to read to you. But if they could have, I believe they would have said amen to this. Last night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me and the other belonged to the Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that as many times along the path of my life, especially the very lowest and saddest times, There was only one set of footprints. This really, really troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, 
my precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. During your times of suffering, when you can only see one set of footprints, it was then I carried you. You've probably heard that and read that before, but i got to tell you, that's powerful. Because this is talking about the providence and the sovereignty of God. See, God is a God with a plan. And the times that we don't sense him, the times it seems like he's a million miles away, the times that it seems like our faith is hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down to the floor, it is those times that God is carrying us in ways that we can't see or possibly know. When you feel like you're all alone and life is not being fair, that is when our God with his mighty invisible hand hoists us up, picks us up by his nail-scarred hands and carries us when we don't think we can take one more step. God picks us up footprints in the sand, when they become one, you can know that you're being carried. I want to tell some of you today, you're being carried by God. You may not sense it, but you're being carried by God. You may not be aware of God at all. It may seem like you're seeing more of the devil than you are God, but I'm telling you, the devil is a defeated foe. And our God sees his children through. And though they fall, they shall not be utterly cast down For the Lord upholds them with his hand. Amen. So God is carrying you. Joseph and Naomi both realized in the second half of their life that this truth was actually true. In the first half, watch this. Joseph's testimony was this. My brothers sold me into Egypt. But in the second half, he testified... God sent me into Egypt. I'm going to say that again because the man had a revelation. You see, as long as you're looking at your circumstances through the eyes of flesh, you're going to say, well, this happened to me that was bad, and that's happened to me that was bad, and flesh did that to me, and flesh did this to me. People have been mean to me. But listen, Joseph said in the first half, my brothers, those dastardly, mean-hearted, mean-spirited brothers sold me into Egypt until he realized that God was bigger than his problems. And his second testimony was, now I know God sent me into Egypt. In the first half, Naomi testified that life was bitter and God had turned his back on her. That was her testimony. But in the second half, she held a beautiful grandchild in her hands and testified that Ruth, her daughter-in-law, was better to her than seven sons. What happened? They realized that God was bigger, that God's plan was stronger, and that God had actually been in charge of even the difficult times of their life. He had his hand on the dial. He didn't allow the furnace to get so hot that they burned up. He was in charge and in control. What was it that carried them through? Their dark valley of pain and disappointment and shattering and failure and broken dreams to the other side. They realized that life was not fair, but God is good. 
Now, those are the two truths you and I are always going to live with. On the one hand, life is not going to be fair. People aren't going to treat you right. They aren't going to say about you what, they, what you always wish they would. They're not always going to do what you wish they would. Things are not going to go the way that you thought they were going to. Life is sometimes not going to be fair. But you can't, as a child of God, focus only on that. You've got to have another testimony coming out of your mouth. And it is, but God. But God is good. God is good. And His goodness is always working out for our good. Now, there's three things they learned, and I want to share with you what those three things are. First, they learned that God's plan is bigger than life's disappointments. God's plan is bigger than life's disappointments. If you don't believe that, you're in for some crying in the midnight hour. If you don't believe that, you're in for some discouraging days. I came today to preach the devil out of your brain, out of your life. It is not as bad as it looks. It is not as negative as it may appear. And I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, God's plan is bigger than life's disappointments. Jesus himself said, in this world you're going to have tribulation, but fear not. I have overcome the world. Let me paraphrase that for you. Life isn't always going to be fair, said Jesus, but God is good, and He has overcome through Jesus Christ where we can have the victory even in the presence of the unfairnesses of life. Listen to Romans eight twenty eight all over again. This is one of my favorite verses. Paul wrote, moreover, we know that to those who love God, who are called according to his plan, and that's you, and that's me, everything that happens, can you say it with me, everything that happens, say it again, everything that happens, that difficult boss at work, that flat tire you got on the highway this week, that job you thought you were going to get that you did not get, that marriage that you tried your best to make work and it failed anyway. Everything, everything, that's a lot of things, that's everything. You know what everything means in the Greek? Everything. Everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. There isn't anything that can take you down, nothing that can totally and completely defeat you because God is bigger and his plan is bigger than all the disappointments of life. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where trouble, shattering, heartbreak, and disappointment abound, there is a much more than that that God sends, much more. Where sin abounds, grace does much more. Can you say with me, much more? I mean, where trouble abounds, there's a much more. Where disappointment comes, there's a much more. No matter what happens to you that is negative, there is a much more coming from the hand of God. Where sin and trouble abound, grace does much more abound toward the struggling Christian. I think y'all are kind of getting me today. I think you're still a little bit sleepy. I'm waiting for somebody to jump up and shout and say, preacher, I'm going to get this CD. Because when I'm driving down the highway in rush hour traffic 
and somebody honks at me and I'm late and it's hot out or it's cold out or it's miserable weather and things have not gone my way and it seems like everything has conspired together where I say with Jacob, everything has turned against me. I know that in the presence of that, God has sent a much more. He has sent a much more. And that much more is what I'm going to focus on. Much more grace abounds towards me. Can you say with me, much more? So anything Satan hands out to you, anytime Satan tries to discourage you, knock you out of the saddle, give you a bad day, it doesn't matter how much he attacks you, there's still going to be a much more from the hand of God. God is able to take the failures and the disappointments and the heartbreaks of life and make them serve his plan for us. Psalms 138.8 says, the Lord is going to perfect what concerns me. The Lord is going to perfect his will for me. Now, not only is God's plan bigger than life's disappointments, God's plan is better than ours is. Now, I want you to, I want you to just hear me on this one. God's got a better plan than anything you could dream up. The Joseph of the first half, who envisioned a quiet pastoral life of shepherding in the promised land of Canaan, could never have cooked up in his wildest dreams what God had in his mind. That the mightiest nation on earth would be at his command. Who'd have ever thunk it? That he would single-handedly save Egypt from starvation. Who'd have ever dreamed it? That he would save his own family from starvation and assure and secure the lineage that brought forth Messiah. Who'd have ever imagined it? God alone. Joseph's best laid plans couldn't come close to what God had in mind. Naomi would never have dreamed in the first half that she would be instrumental in bringing her widowed Moabitess daughter-in-law, Ruth, back to Jerusalem where she'd never been, where she would meet and marry the great-great-grandfather of King David, Boaz, that Ruth would herself hold in her arms and nurse Boaz's son, Obed, King David's grandfather. If you'd given her 10 years to write a story, she couldn't have come up with that. And I'm here today to tell you that there's your plans and there's God's plans. There's a good idea and there's a God idea. And if you live according to your own plans and that's all you ever realize, God will bless you for it. And that's good, but it's not best. The best is when you say, Jesus, I give you my life, all that I am or ever will be. I want to know why you created me, what you wired me to do. I want to discover the call of God for my life. I want to move in what you have custom designed me to do. I want to fulfill all your purpose for me. Then you're in a God idea. Then you're in the best of the best. That's the Cadillac of living, the Rolls Royce of life, when you do God's will. And God's got a plan for every one of you. Life's not fair, but God is good. God is good. And God's plan is better than ours. Now, there's one more thing they learned, and this one's my favorite. God's plan triumphs in the end. God's plan triumphs in the end. 
Our lives are like a good novel. In the middle of a good novel, everything is askew. Everything is messed up. Everything, you've got personalities that are going everywhere. You've got, you've got people, you wonder what's going to happen to them, what is going to become of them, who's going to end up with who, who's going to end up dead, who's going to end up alive, who's going to be caught for what they have done, and who's going to get away with it. And there's all kinds of unanswered questions swirling around the middle of a novel. That is not when you put it down. You stay with it until the end where there is closure, where the end, what the author had in mind, is finally revealed and it's that way with God's plan. It may look today like the devil is getting away with things in your life. It may look like there is no rhyme or reason for what's happening to you, but you've got to give God time. The apostle James wrote about Job and said, Job is an example of a man who continued to trust the Lord in sorrow. Now, I'm going to read that again. Job is an example of a man who continued to trust the Lord in sorrow. His wife, even his own wife, looked at him and said, Why don't you curse God and die? He said, You speak like a crazy woman. I will not curse God and die. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And then the Bible says from his experiences, we can see how the Lord's plan finally ended in good. For he is full of tenderness and mercy. The Lord's plan always ends in good. You know why? Because life's not fair, but God is Let's say it again. Life's not fair, but God is good. And he is in charge. His plan is bigger than your circumstances. His plan is bigger than your disappointments. And his plan will triumph in the end if you give God time. He sees the unfairnesses of life. He sees what happens to you. Do you know that? God sees what they say about you. He sees how they treated you. He sees what they did to you. It says the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. He sees it. He hears your cries, your tears. Revelation says he stores up our tears in a bottle. He takes all of these negative things and makes them part of the knitting needles out of which he weaves the tapestry of your life. W. Robertson Nicole. W. Robertson Nicole was born with weak lungs. As he grew up, he had a love for reading, and there wasn't anything he wanted to do more than pastor a church. And so he went and got a church and began to pastor it, but he was born with weak lungs. And so when he would preach, he would get faint-hearted and, and faint in his mind, and he couldn't get enough oxygen. And finally, the doctor said to him, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to step down from the pulpit. You can't preach. Your lungs will never handle it. And he was confined to a bed and confined to this bed, W. Robert Nicole, with his love for reading and his love for literature, said, there's only one thing that I can do sitting here. They never put out the fire in his fireplace, and he was alone in his room with his cats who sat over in the corner and purred all day long. He said, I can write, I can write, and I can publish. And W. Robert Nicole began to write and began to publish. He wound up publishing the Expositor's Bible, 50 volumes in length. He also published the Expositor's Greek New Testament, which I have used over and over again, invaluable to preachers around the globe. 
He became the most prolific and respected Christian journalist in the English-speaking world. Life had not been fair with his lungs, but grace, like the silver lining, weaved its way into his life. And where trouble and heartache abounded, grace did much more abound. And this man, confined to his bed, touched the world. Life's not fair, but God is good. If you've never been able to read anything written by Arthur Pink, you've really missed out. Arthur Pink has written so many Christian classics, they're almost innumerable. The Life of David, a book on the Holy Spirit, it just goes on and on. A master, a master Bible teacher. But Arthur Pink could not get anybody to let him pastor their church. He too wanted to be a pastor. And he knocked on door after door of church after church. And for one reason or another, nobody would have him. I don't know why. I don't know what he looked like, what he sounded like. Something was there, but it was really ultimately the hand of God. He could have said, nobody would have me. But he later said, God didn't let him have me. Because he said, all I knew to do was write. So he began to write, and he wrote masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece, and his books have touched the world. And my seminary Greek professor, tears streaming down his face, said to me, I thank God nobody let Arthur Pink pastor. Life's not fair. True. But there's another truth. Working on your behalf, every day, God is good. So when life's not fair, Isaiah has advice for us. Fear not, says God through Isaiah, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame scorch you. Fear not, for I am with you. I will make a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins any longer. If God be for us, who can be against us? Next to the unfairnesses of life is the goodness of God, and he's making all of it work together for his plan in your life. Amen. I want you to stand with me, would you? God's, say with me, God's plan is bigger than life's disappointments. Believe it. Say with me, God's plan is better than our own. Embrace it. God's plan triumphs in the end. Expect it. Expect it. In the last three years, Kathy and I went through the most hellacious experience of our life. And one morning, I just felt like um, it was over. I didn't see myself doing anything but maybe selling shoes. <laughs> if you can imagine that. Um, not if there's anything wrong with it. But if you can imagine that with me, no. But sitting out on my patio one morning, this truth became so real to me. And God said to me, I mean said to my spirit, 
Jeff, I want you to give me time. And I want you to do what I've always touched you to do. I want you to preach. You go out there and you preach and you fear no man. That's what he told me. I said, Lord, I'd rather move. (laughs) He said, I want you to go preach and you fear no man. And you watch my hand of providence. You watch how I set up the chess pieces. You just give me time. It became so real to me because all kinds of things were happening unfair. Unfair. People were attacking us. It was vicious. Um, People I'd worked with turned on me. And I got to tell you, it looked like curtains. But God said, you just give it time. So I'd come up and just preach. And I obeyed everything God told me to do. Me and Kathy, we prayed every day. And we just gave everything to God. One day I get a phone call. Hey, you want to be back on the air? Sure. Same time, same place? Sure. And then people began to come. And they began to come. And they began to come. And I started getting calls. Restoration. Not from everyone. There are a few who never will. But there were, most did. And, and God just began to put it together. And now, now I'm seeing what he meant. Buildings sitting over there on highway frontage on I-35. Everywhere I go, I heard you on the radio or I've seen your picture. Or what are you doing? What church is it? What's your name? What are you going to be preaching? What kind of church are you? everywhere and I know I'm being set up have you ever felt and just know you're being set up so even in the midst of failure and disappointment and all of these things God has shown us that though life's not fair you can always count on the goodness of God And that's what you've got as a believer that somebody out there who doesn't know Christ, bless their hearts, they don't have. They're lunch meat for the devil, but not you. And so how many of you needed this today? Life's not fair. Can you say it with me? Life's not fair, but God is good. Father, we just thank you that the goodness of God is always at work. The goodness of God is always active. And, Lord, you are working right now in the life of every person in this room. And, Lord, you are setting them up for a blessing, setting them up, especially as they obey you. You're setting them up. And, Lord, I thank you for a divine setup, for a blessing. And, Lord, we thank you for the goodness of God. Now, as Steve begins to play, whatever it is in your life where life's not been fair, I want you to say, As we stand here just about to dismiss, Lord, I'm expecting the goodness of God. That where trouble is abounding, grace is much more, much more, much more going to abound. In Jesus' name, take a minute and pray and give your troubles to God.
Thank you, Lord.